Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. That's how you'll know. Um, we're grateful to once again to Mr. and Mrs. Valparaiso's boy, Archie, uh, for sending this morning on the Word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, uh, what's on next week in Ipswich, according to a local website. What's on next week, David? Uh, in Shotley, on the 19th, they have quiz night with the Morris Men and Cream Teas. <laughs> Is that, is that all the from the Morris <laughs> uh, On the 19th, uh, there's a big band evening in Needham Market with Marrakesh. Who are Ipswich's idea of a big band? Uh, uh, I'm very much making a note in my diary for the 25th in Ipswich. They have the Cuckoo Teapot. And uh, the on the same night, the Trinity Park, Ipswich, they got the Suffolk Soul Night. Well, let's get down there. Let's hire a van. So, if the range of entertainment available to you in your lo- local area can match that uh, for events, you know, take some going. It takes some going. Yeah. Uh, let us know about it on wordmagazine.co.uk. I'm David Hepworth. On my right, Mark Ellen. Well, hello, very nice to be here. On my far right, Matt Hall. Hello, equally. And facing me across the table. Steve Bobrick. Hello, Steve. Hello. Uh, Steve has written about Wikipedia in the current issue of Word, uh, and we're going we're gonna to turn to that subject later on. But, Mark, meanwhile, you've been out. You've been <laughs> out to a gig. <laughs> How was well, it? I was no surprise. I go out to gigs all the time, Dave. I know you do. I'm a born-again young person. I went to see the, the mighty Bjork, as we must pronounce her. Is she mighty? She's not mighty. Um, in fact, when Anthony Hegarty, out of the Johnsons, came on, who physically resembles the noise he makes uh, in, in, in no way whatsoever. You know, have you heard Anthony? Yes. I'm sure you have. Very frail, yes. rather, as if he was made of fine bone china. And this hulking great bear-like individual. He's a man made... made lumbers. Under as the Bob Monkhouse used to say, a man made in the days when meat was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and his hands fair share of it. No, he comes stumbling on, he's about six foot four. Is he wheeled on? He's virtually wheeled on. A series of cranes. No, and he's actually a wonderful singer. I'm a, I'm a big admirer of this guy. But he comes on and he's wearing thick winter clothes. You know, a scarf, uh, some form of Afghan jacket, a sort of ha- pair of harem trousers, made, I think, of sturdy canvas <laughs> and, 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 and stout hiking boots. So he just popped out to get a paper when right, he was... Uh, to the wrong door. No, the point is it doesn't really matter. He's only going to be on stage four minutes. It's not like Björk is working for an hour and three quarters. Back by, she had, a, I'm going to have to look this up actually, because they're probably not called Wonder Brass, but I think they are. She may actually be a joke on, on Wonder Bra, but she's backed by four Icelandic, sorry, ten Icelandic girl brass musicians. Of course. 
Of course, they're all playing tubers and euphoniums and uh, trumpets and trombones and stuff, and they're wearing the most outrageous... This is a shock, isn't it, Dave? I can see outrageous headgear, and all have individual flags on masts waving from the top of their heads. Flags. Flags. Flags of nations. Flags. And they have flags of nations, I think. But I think they're nations that Björk herself has invented. <laughs> I think they're a nation that she wants all of us to... to, to emigrate. Emigrate <laughs> to and populate. This state of mind. It's a state of mind. They are exactly. Yeah. It's a state of mind. But expressed by ten Icelandic girls playing brasses. But they're fantastic. They used to say the classic rave review in Edwardian musical used to be... Fills the stage with flags, didn't they? Oh, really? <laughs> That's well, what they used to say as a rave review. I don't know why, yeah. but they did. That's so a very Bjork's been phrase. She certainly literally does do that. And she's also got a harpsichord player, as you might imagine, playing a classical harpsichord, but it costs thousands of pounds just to winch this mm-hmm. thing in. And uh, she's got three blokes doing electronic beats. And, uh, and then at one point, your old pal... Uh, Tamani Diabati. Sorry, you pronounced that right. We're now going to have a Jum- contest. <laughs> this is what the podcast is for, actually. It's is Tamani Jabati. Tamani Jabati. Okay, I stand No, correct. I think when in doubt, pronounce as, as you would if you were coming from devious Lancashire. Oh, go on, then. We had that Tamani Diabati here last week. We had a Tamani in the back of our cab. And also, Anthony, of the Johnsons, which I think is a major, major excitement. Also, a weird thing happened, actually, at a concert. We're talking about things that happened at concerts, concert, people talking and stuff. This girl gets on her boyfriend's shoulders. Can you imagine that? Well, well, I thought it was going to be a riot. It was the Hammersmith Apollo in uh, London's uh, swinging west district, where you have to stand on a raked floor. And this girl gets on. And I actually had to sort of... Well, in fact, someone got to, got to her first. I was going to go over and say, for your own safety, get down. <laughs> And he made her turn around and see that behind him were about 4,000 people going absolutely mental because they couldn't see anything. <laughs> people were ridiculous. It's, it's one of my fondest memories, actually, of seeing Bruce Springsteen in the mid-'80s when he toured in the UK and he played at Wembley and the sun shone. And I think the, the average age of his, of his audience was about 25. And, you know, the men were young and muscular and, and the, the women were... Relatively sylph-like. And so it was quite a popular thing to do, to fling the girlfriend, or the intended, on the shoulders yeah. so she could see Bruce and, and enjoy the thing. Which, 20 years later... <laughs> 20 years later, Bruce... Springsteen. <laughs> 20 years later, Bruce Springsteen returns. And the same people go along, but the men are slightly less strong. And the women... Are, yeah, Life! Children, yeah. whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And you can see them exchanging <laughs> little conversations in the crowd. No. Not with my back. No. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going up there. I shall drop you. you know, oh, go on. Have a go, you know. And I've actually seen cases where the men have hauled their daughters onto their shoulders but refuse to extend the no. same privilege I, to I their good lady my wife. kids up on my shoulders anymore. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> An adult human being. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, my children six foot three. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. So while you're talking about Anthony and the Johnsons, you didn't get a chance to look at my favourite website that I've come across in the last week. Because Anthony <laughs> would have fitted there perfectly. Uh, please, if you're not too busy at work today, just... Or even if you are. <laughs> just Google men who look like old lesbians. Okay, you know, <laughs> 
Can you Europe, which sounds frivolous, but you get there and it's really quite serious. It's yeah. very serious. Danny Baker sent this to me. Men who look like old lesbians. Just can you remember that expression? <laughs> so somebody, somebody's invented this blog, which is just dedicated to the fact that, and what they've identified is this is a growing trend, and particularly in show business. So if you go and look, uh, well, what sort of people have we got there, Matt? We were having a look earlier. We've got Stephen King is there. I think actually Neil Finn out of Crowded House is there. Oh, yeah. uh, a, a large number of American light entertainers. Yes. Yeah. Anybody what, who's had any work done. There's a little, he says, what you need to qualify for this, to get into men who look like old lesbians, you've got to be a certain age. You've got to have preserved your hair, okay, <laughs> and probably had it done into a hairstyle that might not naturally fit on a gentleman of your age. And it's probably an artificial colour as well, I would suspect. There may be a little bit of colouring in there. Highlights There's a certain puffiness, as they say. Right. There may be a touch of Botox. <laughs> but what there generally <laughs> is... What there generally is... Lawyers is, um, is, is they've made a choice to have um, uh, fashionable spectacles. <laughs> fashionable frames on the spectacles, which immediately make one look like an old lesbian. So, gents, this can be easily avoided. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think it just points out it's quite interesting. You go look at the site, and it shows how many rock names there are there. You realise how suspiciously well-preserved lots of people... Um, hey, Mick Jagger is a shoe-in on men who look like old lesbians. I mean, you know, come on, get yeah. ahead of the queue. You yeah, know what I mean? Because it's a nobody that age looks like that. I think it's a public service because it's a kind of a warning. It's a useful warning as you get a bit older. To watch out Yeah, just check in every few months. <laughs> and just, they ought to have some kind of tool to compare your current photograph with the kind of that will be useful. model. You know, so upload, that you upload a latest photograph yeah. and just check that you don't yeah. within Oh, right, a test. Yeah. Mm, so you don't you conform. You kind of warning, you know, percentages. <laughs> How you going to put the old glasses on? Beep, 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 What's number one of the stuff like white people like? Mariah Carey. <laughs> Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> and what it's actually about is stuff that white middle class people like and used to kind of position themselves and agonise about. Lawn mowers, bonfires. Farmers markets. Farmers markets are there. Indie rock very, is very there. Wide. You know That's what I mean? Wide. Apple products, they're there. Oh, yeah. Sushi, it's there. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, that works. oh yeah. Got to go and look at it. Stuff white yeah. people like. So that's well, from the world. Though I must be white, actually, because I quite like all those things. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, well, you might be. <laughs> <laughs> so the internet every week throws up yet another delight. You know, like men who look like old lesbians and all those kind of thing. And, uh, and it's one of the things I wanted to talk on. Uh, touch, 
touch upon with, with Steve Bobrick, who's because uh, Steve comes from the world of the interweb. <laughs> Do you, have you met Steve before? Steve, I've never met Steve. I think you have actually. I think you met Steve about twenty years before, twenty years ago. I think Steve probably told you how to plug in an Apple Mac. In, yeah. uh, you know, oh, that's right. Back in the, in the we, we may have done age, in the distant did. past. Yeah. Anyway, I've certainly been around his house. In the very distant past, plugging in a Mac. Yes, in the days yeah. when to set up a Mac, you needed an expert yeah. to come around and do it. Whereas nowadays, you and buy those days are over. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve's written about a uh, very good piece in, in the current issue of Word on sale now. Uh, Roger Waters on the cover uh, about Wikipedia. Wikipedia, which is a resource which. Well, the sound of young Islington. The sound of there young it is. <laughs> on its You'll toes. never sell any ice creams yes, going at that speed. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's <laughs> the Yes. There's an Apple Mac now. Yes. Harry off down the street. Young Islington buys his breakfast. <laughs> um, Wikipedia, which is now... The thing about the internet is you can't recall when it wasn't there, mm. really. And, you know, as new things come along, which are internet phenomenons, you have difficulty remembering what life was like yeah. before. Yeah. So Wikipedia, how long? How long has it been going? Oh, uh, uh, well, now you're asking. N no more than six or seven years. <laughs> so presumably it took quite a while to get up to kind of critical mass. <laughs> oh, absolutely, to, yeah. To be any use to And anybody. it did one of those hockey stick curves where things were a bit quiet for a while and then it suddenly started to accelerate. And now it's out of control. I mean, I think one of the things that's in the article is that every single day, 15,000 articles are deleted, let alone added. Who it, deletes? So, uh, uh, this this, this unofficial place. police force of editors and contributors who, who, who apply this rigorous set of rules as to veracity and so on. And if they find stuff that has insufficient what's called notability, it's marked for deletion. And there's a warning applied and so on. And then if, it, 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 if the veracity of the article and the notability of the article isn't beefed up with some references and citations and supporting material, then it'll go. Um, and it's pretty ruthless. Can I ask, who, who are these people sitting at home, unpaid, <laughs> writing you know, entries for Wikipedia and sending them off? optimistically who are they well obviously there's a kind of a there's a charitable answer to that question and then there's an unkind answer to that question yeah uh, um but there is there is a real mixture and at one end of the spectrum there are genuine experts academics um lay scholars enthusiasts uh fans for instance if you if you were to dig into any of the rock star entries and so on they're written by obsessive fans most often upset fans sometimes so obsessive that if the rock star him or herself decides to intervene and correct an error, then that error will be quickly, quickly put back the way it was before because there's an assumption that, 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 that uh, oh, the, the real star wouldn't get involved. And actually, there are lots of stories about various rock stars. Well, you've said in your piece here that George W. Bush, Cuba, and Michael Jackson's entries have mm. been repeatedly vandalised. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're particularly Fantastic. controversial, aren't they? I mean, yeah, no, well, I of course, the people are going it, hacking in. Well, of course, and it's really, really tempting, isn't it? I mean, if you're looking at George W. Bush's entry, which is written in... Uh, actually, if you look at it, it's really measured and very encyclopedic and very grown up. It's very tempting to just put, you know, wanker in there. Or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really, I mean, I've felt a lot of that, do that pull. Not you know. just with George W. Bush, but I'm, yeah. I know that there, are, there have been campaigns, haven't they? Kind of like, let's go over to organized vandalism. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 
which are, of course, are very anti the whole community spirit and so on, and really destructive. But quite funny. But they they're funny, and they burn out, and then they're gone, you know, and they move on. But it's, um, I mean, it is, a, it is an utterly kind of contemporary and an irresistible phenomenon, and the, the sort of grumpy old man response to it is, is, is fading, I think, as people begin to learn the value of it. Well, you mean the, the kind of Encyclopedia Britannica yeah. or whatever, or John yeah. Humphrey says, well, it's not reliable or yes, whatever, that's right. but nor is... Nor, is most, nor yeah. are most encyclopedias yeah. written by the time yeah. they get there. But mm. the fantastic example of it not being uh, reliable was when, was it Laurie Paramore died recently? One of the um, old, one of the old kind of guys who Producers, did arrangers. Uh, no, did all the, yeah, arrangers of the TV right. themes. Oh, Laurie Holloway. Um, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And somebody put in, the, in his wiki entry that he was responsible for a Girls Aloud song. And this was actually, when he died... This was actually picked up, and it was in the obits at the time. Yeah, and it wasn't true. And it was totally untrue. But but these are very often these little changes are very often made, and I don't, there's actually this actually happens now. Somebody dies, wise guy nips into that person's entry at Wikipedia, makes a sort of little tactical change, introducing a really funny error, and then just waits for the newspapers to pick it up. Oh, so somebody's doing it so deliberately. It's a little trap, and it's very common now. You Give know, us an example uh, of. Oh of my that God! Now you're asking. Somebody died recently. Uh, I think it was an American movie star. God, this is the kind of thing that we look up afterwards and then kind of, and Matt just kind of cleverly, presumably, cuts it in <laughs> to the tape, you know, after you've yeah, got yeah, the facts that's right. It. That, that's and, exactly and what happened. Of course, yeah, if yeah, I've done, yeah. done my research. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and it was noted in his Wikipedia entry that he was a fanatical uh, uh, Portsmouth United fan. Something oh, right, like really, yeah, yeah. Damning allegations. Yeah, something like that. But uh, sort of unlikely. Yeah. I mean, he lived in California for 50 years or something. Charles Bronson or I, something I, like that. You know, <laughs> goes to Pompeii. The value of this anecdote is declining fast, isn't it? Because I can't remember either the name of the individual or the team. We get the idea. Like, yeah, go on. But it made it into some newspapers. Yeah, because you know, it just got there in yeah, that little yeah, gap. Yeah, and now pretty quickly, you know, the next wave of obits, it was gone. Yeah, yeah. But those first few wallies really felt I'm going to ask Mark Ellen we're going to try something live here on the podcast which I don't think has ever been tried in podcasting broadcasting history because I'm pretty confident Mark Ellen have you read your Wikipedia entry no I haven't Uh, there it is oh right have I got on that laptop oh look go on read it Tell us if it's wrong. Mark Ellen is a music journalist and broadcaster. Whilst at Oxford University in the 1970s, he played in a band called Ugly. See, the problem is no, that can we when I die, I've done lots of things in my life I'd like to no, think, Matt. But no, clearly, the only thing anybody's remotely interested in is playing in a band with the Prime Minister. After graduating, he wrote for Record Mirror, Enemy, and Time Out before See, signing up as a feature editor to smash hits. And I said, well, this is all true. It's true. It's true, isn't it? My God. There's nothing controversial. Nothing about a criminal record. That there is an got... absolute lie. There was, right? I'm only joking. Um, no, it was fine. <laughs> he presented the uh, World Great Whistle Test with David Hepworth. Have you looked at yours? Uh, yeah, I've looked at mine. Oh, I look at mine all the time, as you can imagine. You wrote it, didn't but, you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I love about Wikipedia, the thing that makes it such a valuable resource, is that compared to the official information source of whatever it is that you're seeking to find out about, you know, the BBC or Leeds United or God knows what, it will present the information in a hierarchy of importance. Now, yeah. Mark might not like that thing, but you yeah. know, the second line there, while well, at Oxford he played in a band with Teddy Blair. But as far as most people in the world are concerned, that's how most people process information. And so I go to look at anything. If I go and look at, if I go to the BBC site to find out what the BBC is, it'll go, 
always pushing boundaries. The BBC mm. likes to feel it. You know what I mean? All touchy-feely stuff. If I go to Wikipedia, I'll go, the BBC is a publicly funded broadcaster in the United Kingdom, started in this year. You know what I mean? The licence fee is so much. Yeah. It'll tell you really, really clearly what something is. That's right. But And actually, it represents... I mean, there's obviously... the. the the, the grumpy old man position on Wikipedia is it represents this terrible decline in authority and the veracity of publicly available information and everything else. But actually, it represents quite the reverse. It's actually about applying this encyclopedia technique to the whole world of information. And because it's such a such a obsessive interest in continually improving the quality of this stuff, this this is what you're seeing. You're seeing this phenomenon of of the encyclopedic method or the method, you know the reference work method apply to an immense range of information that wouldn't historically have got that treatment at all. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely you know. amazing. My I, question is, go on. what did journalists do before Wikipedia? Well, I'll tell you what they did. Because I, I made myself unpopular. I stood up about five years ago at a, at a, at a convention of PR men <laughs> and said, you lot are doomed because the only thing anybody's going to use in the future is Wikipedia. Now, no disrespect to PRs, but the notion... In this day and age of ringing APR to found, find out a fact is just a nonsense. You know, oh, because A, they wouldn't tell you, B, they wouldn't know, and if they knew, they would then think, should I be telling people this? <laughs> Even if it's the most anodyne piece of information, you know what I mean? Well, Can you tell me the birth date of so-and-so? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They'll oh. have to have a meeting and there'll be a discussion yeah. about it. Yeah, that's right. No, I've run, I've run PRs and they have, they have looked at Wikipedia sites. <laughs> Wait, that's it. They said, uh, let me just look at Wikipedia. They're looking at the Wiki- Wikipedia site of their own artists that they represent, <laughs> which they probably ought to have updated themselves. No, because the, because the Wikipedia site is probably tended by the biggest fan mm. of that person that there is, anyway, who will probably know more information than anybody else. So, Steve, do, I mean, you mentioned about uh, stars going on and changing their own entries. Do you get, I mean, with George W. Bush, is it the White House press office that's put that citation together for him? Or, you know, I mean, do you get official, official PR? No, you, you'll get, you'll, you'll certainly get people attempting to um, apply the official line. Because quite often, not quite often, but sometimes they're locked, aren't they? Sometimes mm. the entries are locked and you yeah. can't actually yeah. you, modify it with, unless yeah. you've got kind of permission. That's right. But, but in fact, even where an article is locked, typically it's only locked to the extent that you have to, you have, to have created an account or you have to be a... Uh, an, uh, an editor, for instance, who's created a few entries. So, uh, for them to let you do it. Yeah, so you, you, the, pr- the price of entry to the kind of elite group of editors is not enormous. It's possible to do that. So, actually, the biggest culprits in terms of vandalism are not so much, you know, the, the teams in their bedrooms, but, but actually the PRs. Yes. And they've been caught out yes. dozens and dozens of times. Give us an example. Uh, amending it. You will we'll keep asking for examples, won't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm yeah. a journalist. And, <laughs> That's what I do. What does it say? <laughs> it does. It says I'm a bass player in a hopeless, doomed rock quintet. I'm pretty pissed off about that. Is that it? Is that all I've ever achieved in my life? But I'm actually, a you terrible are, it, version it, of China Grove by the Doobie Brothers. My, my limited right. experience of Mark has been, is, he does this a lot. He asks for examples. But actually, which is very, that really sort of embodies the Wikipedia approach. A good Wikipedia entry has lots of little forest of references at the bottom, linking out to the original review of your band yeah. and so on and so on and so forth. And so, so you, you uh, uh, and 
that's one of the exciting things about it. I think it's emerging from watching Wikipedia grow is that uh, one of the critical uh, aspects of it is that entries improve over time. But with respect, get Prime Minister, better. you haven't answered my question. My question <laughs> is, I want concrete evidence for PR altering the propaganda well, of their Well, listen, life. David's got a computer there. I bet he could in, <laughs> in, in, in But, but you in see, the thing is, they, they, they will try and change it, but mm. it'll get changed back. Mm. Because the person who knows better will, will be there, will it be up earlier in mm. the morning, working harder at it than, mm. that, than they are, you know? Mm. So, so the how, idea that... How is that mistake detected? I don't understand that. Because so somebody goes and looks. Because right. if I'm the so person who authored, whoever did your Mark Allen entry, God knows what sad <laughs> individual, <laughs> what person had Tragic exhausted all the possibilities of the universe on that particular day and thought, I know what I'll do. I'll write about Mark Allen. That person who wrote it We'll go and have a look at it regularly. Yeah, but, uh, and and, and there's, there's, there are two Teddy kind Blair of forces right. at work. There's the force Teddy of Blair on the and downtime. <laughs> <laughs> there's the slightly OCD, you know, aspect of people obsessively monitoring their enthusiasms and so on and yeah. checking in daily and so on. But actually, Wikipedia is now studded with these kind of uh, more technological ways of monitoring things. So articles can be watched such that if a change happens. A little flag yeah, goes up, right. so and the editor for that, or the it principal flags editor up for that, that something is, is being yes, changed. Yes, yes. So then the principal alerts you to the possibility. Exactly, of and you can abandoned. subscribe to these notifications so that you can watch a bunch of articles. Yeah. So if you're the leading Mark Allen enthusiast in the, <laughs> in, in the English-speaking world, you Schiller, can have. Schiller's just run down my spine. Dignified procession of one. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you'll have you'll have one of these flags your set so that whenever a change is made, you can drop in. And check if it's okay or not. Yeah. I love the idea yeah. there that the only people who are regularly distorting this thing are PRs. <laughs> I love the <laughs> idea that the, the people whose job is to give the official line are the ones mm. going in there and changing it. Yeah. Because I'll never forget Danny Kelly, who we both used to work with years ago. One of the first times I ever met Danny, he said, <laughs> he said, the thing you should remember about PRs is paid liars. <laughs> and I, you know, I always, uh, you know, which is a rather extreme way of putting it, but uh, you know, I, I do have a certain sympathy for it, you know, because you know, news is that which somebody doesn't want to, you know, wishes to keep secret. And so, if a PR is going on Wikipedia, they're going in there to take out the interest. Aren't oh, they? absolutely, you know, to drain it, to neutralise, <laughs> and to make. <laughs> that's right, yeah. And so it's as dull as everybody yeah. else's, and nobody yeah. wants to look at it. Yeah. There's only one thing. One, one, I don't know if it's a trick, really. Uh, I think it's just a, a convention that uh, odd PRs indulge in, which I'm at all susceptible to. Which is when a PR rings you up and says, uh, would you like to write some of this record? And you, say, and you say, what's it like? They say, I think it's a bit disappointing, actually. <laughs> you know, say, oh, what about this film? Say, it's, it's not his best work. I, I don't think. I mean, you might, you might think it's better. And I'm incredibly suckered in by that. Because I just think, I don't know if that, again, is a massively clever double oh, really? twist. Oh, They're trying to get I'm, you to warm to I'm the... I'm so impressed by PRs going in on the, on the back foot. It's ballsy, isn't yeah, it? David Byrne has made many records. This is not among one of his classics. But, I mean, I, I may be wrong. That's yeah. pretty sophisticated. And I, it's very, very, very confident, yeah. very sophisticated sell. Yeah. And it's only people you know quite well. And what's the PR cell that's least likely to work? Go on. Uh, it's like the Arctic Monkeys. Or no, uh, oh yeah, it's crossed between the Arctic Monkeys and oh, Lou yeah. Reed. Lou Reed met the Arctic Monkeys <laughs> in a party thrown by Brian Ferry. With a bit of <laughs> stock was taking the coats. Madonna was dishing out the oh. drinks. It, they weren't. None of these things happened. Please that. listen to. No, I thought the worst one is always the, when people ring up whatever the magazine is and say, it's very word. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and usually the writer or the editor wants to reach down the phone, grab the person warmly by the throat, and just shake them. You know, but are you horrible presumption? But it's amazing how diff- different those very word things are. Often they can be a bloke strumming a three-string banjo, or it could be you know Bjork. Do you know what I mean? So it's uh, it's very hard to. Um, I'm going to ask you one question about the internet, Steve. Is it going to break? Is it going to break? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, good. Another but, BBC responsible. <laughs> because the, oh, no, it's, seriously, it's all going off at the moment, isn't it? Because of the BBC yes, iPlayer is suddenly yes, taking half the yes, bandwidth yes. in the world. And that can only get worse because the BBC and ITV and Channel 4 have got a big joint venture which is codenamed Kangaroo, which is kind of iPlayer for all the three big, um, all three of the big terrestrial broadcasters. And once once that sort of hits the ground in six months or so, we I think we understand. Yeah, but the yeah. the pressure on the ISPs is going can only increase. So it's it's a it's a real question as to whether uh, can they go and get more bandwidth? <clears throat> they can keep buying it, of course. But the problem is they tend to have a completely flat rate relationship with their customers. So you don't you don't pay by by the bit. And of course there, there was an attempt to do this in the past, but such a revolt amongst customers that essentially we're now back to a completely flat rate rate universe, and. You know, it's, it's, it, each time uh, uh, ISPs plug in bandwidth in units of 155 megabits. And uh, it doesn't take very many iPlayer streams to saturate one of but those new out, lines. Yeah. And then you have to get another one and another one and another one. And uh, it, it will be a big issue. I mean, there is a solution um, which, is, which is within reach. And Ofcom and or government could, in principle, mandate that some of that license fee money is distributed to the ISPs. Yeah. Such that actually, you know... So you mean the BBC the gives some money to people? Well, in a sense, it'd be perfectly... <laughs> that'd be a reversal of the natural order, wouldn't it, Well, of it, course, really? it'd be perfectly appropriate in a way because the BBC historically pays for distribution. Yeah. It does so by putting up giant radio masts yeah, yeah. In, in the Midlands and, and by uh, paying for tenancies on satellites and so on. So it, there's plenty of precedent for paying to get the stuff to the, to the viewer, to the listener, but it's a going to be quite a painful adjustment. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet it will. It's fascinating. iPlayer already, even just in its infancy, I've now got to the stage where if somebody tells me I ought to see something, I want to go and look it up straight away. I don't ask what time's it on, what day's yeah. it on, you know what I mean? And if they're going to do this with ITV and Channel 4 and all the others, that's increasingly going to be the way it works, isn't it? That you're just going to go and find whatever it is at any time of the night or day. I think it's a lot of people that did it similar to a lot of people. The only things I watch live now are the news. Sport. And sport. And everything else is either kind of DVDs or, mm. or, or yes. on demand. But I think it's really interesting. We, what, what you do is, I think what we do in our house anyway, where there are three small kids, is we manufacture appointments to watch the TV. Yeah. And they're, but they're much more deliberate than the old appointments because appointment television was appointment television because you couldn't see it any other time, could you? You had to watch the program at a certain time. But we manufacture them now. We turn them into events, and there's catering for Doctor Who at 6.20. On oh, Saturday. really? You know, we all rush in. and, and We know we could defer it by five minutes or an hour or a week, but we just we, we, we you, manufacture this event. You manufacture a 1950s yes, kind of yes. family round the house. That's half. right, yeah. What's, what's, oh, dear God. What? Mark Ellen. <laughs> Tell everybody. <laughs> Don't tell everyone. I wrote it on a hey, paper. This is funny in itself I because that is the first. That is the first time. How long have we known each other, Martin? How long have we known each other? 
How long have we known each well, other? Well, 31 years. 31 yeah, years. Yeah, well, that is the first time you've ever passed me a, a handwritten note, yeah, well, largely because your handwriting is so illegible. Well, don't read I may it, as well no. look up. <laughs> but... Do you yeah. want to read it out or no, shall I, I read asked, it? I was asking Matt, but then Matt said... Well, what's Matt, Matt supposed to do? What's Matt Matt's supposed to go, Mark, an iPlayer is the thing that the BBC have just spent just billions of our licence fee telling us. What is an iPlayer? There are probably people listening who don't know what an iPlayer is. Is there anybody... All right, we're going to ask. Oh, is there anybody oh. out there who doesn't know what an iPlayer is? Well, an iPlayer is basically it's, it's a means of watching TV programs on your computer. Quite simply, it'll just stream, you know, something that you when missed. you want to watch it. When you want to watch it, any at any time. What Look at his face. That just sounds awful. <laughs> it's not awful. So you sit and watch television on a computer. You don't have to do anything, oh, Mark. It's just it means that the, the four hours that I spend watching BBC Two in an average week are hours of my choosing, not when BBC Two schedulers tell me. But you I could be out there involved in social intercourse. No, but the Cereal same thing applies. To ale, maybe a meat pie, a conversation. Yeah, That's deliberately dancing. misunderstanding. <laughs> my point. I, was, I was at a party on Saturday night involved in social intercourse. See, that goes out. That goes which out. Meant I could watch Doctor Who last night. There you go. Okay. So you to. stack up your viewing for when you, you want to do it, and you don't watch it at any so time you don't want to. Doctor Who? Is that what no, Mark, don't talk chosh. Anyway, talking of Mark Goes Out, I've got written, I've got written down on my piece of paper here. What? Mark goes to the, the World Music Awards. Oh, right, yeah. Tell us about it. Well, Go I, on, you I want can. to boast about going out no, right. while we're all sitting at home, <laughs> well, slaves to the television. Well, it was televised, though, so you could watch it on this laptop. You could get it up and watch it now. But I thought I'd go along in person. So. <laughs> where, was the, where did this take place? It was at Dingwalls. Dingwalls? Where you and I... That's pretty grand. Did everybody manage to get down the stairwell and so forth? Did, you yeah, know, pretty much, yeah. It's still a very sticky floor to... It's probably the, state, it's the same beer is still there from I think it is, when you yeah. went to see Chili Willy yeah, and the Red Hot Peppers in 1976. Right, exactly. You probably left one of your kickers we're, we're there stuck to the floor. The electric chairs to get off stage. So yeah. who was on? Oh, well, all sorts of people. I tell you, it was absolutely fantastic. It was on our CD, in fact. The mighty Justin Adams. Justin Adams. Jilde Kamara, I think you pronounced that. Yes. Right? Yeah. Who absolutely Justin Adams is Robert Plant's right-hand man. So when Robert Plant makes kind of solo records... Justin Adams and makes them with him. He plays guitar oh, right. with him and so forth. But he also makes records on his own. Or with this guy, Joe yeah, yeah, Cameron. Yeah. It's oh, fantastic. It was, it was terrific. Now, there's one really extraordinary moment in there. I mean, the whole thing is... It, I'm fascinated by the idea that... Steve, do you know you're interested in world music? Do you know anything about world music? No, I just do know anything about world music. World music right? But it's the internet that switched me onto it. Because, of oh, course, yeah. I could get this stuff in a way that... Uh, yeah. it's, I had to go up to Stearns or one of these kind of... You'd be too Soho. intimidated. Hangouts, really scary places. The internet made all that possible. Yeah, uh, no, well, I, I'm sort of, I've only started about the last four or five years going to Woman and stuff, and I, I, I generally like everything, which obviously is a terrible character fault of mine, which I apply to life in general. <laughs> I'm not a terribly critical person. And uh, I like some things more than others, but I generally approve of and thoroughly endorse the whole project. But it's so interesting going to uh, an awards show like that, and I've been to folk awards shows and rock awards shows, all manner, and you can see the tensions start to appear because they start off quite small and everybody in it conforms to whatever you mm. know, rock dictate you're putting across or folk dictate. And in the case of 
world music. It's very much a kind of F Roots magazine uh, concept with um, fine old medieval traditionalists and uh, Malian chorus players and uh, you know the occasional banjo operative from uh, you know Carolina or whatever. But it's now you can see that Radio Three want to broaden this thing and make this thing more glamorous and more exciting, more thrilling and glitzy. And the big controversy, as far as I can see, was that one of the uh, awards won by a, a girl called Saar Dingding, which is a fantastic name in itself, <laughs> who is the major Chinese uh, MTV star. I don't know what she's really the equivalent of. What's, what's her name again? Saar Dingding. I'm going to write that down. Tell me. S-A-D-I-N-G, D-I-N-G, one word. Great name. So she's there. And she's, of course, it's absolutely fantastic. She, she's been nominated for awards, and she's supposedly not known that she's won. But clearly, when she arrives, this girl has been in hair and makeup for about a fortnight, I can say. <laughs> she is wearing a series of fabulous burnished copper plates in her hair. The most, just about a hundred weight of jewellery. Uh, the most extraordinary lacquered, manicured construction. Did she Quite make Bjork look underdressed? She made Bjork look like this. <laughs> she popping down the shops. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> gone out for a pop. Like Amy Winehouse popping out. Popping out for a pint of milk with Bjork. A pint of milk, a of milk and, a, and a 20 Bensons. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that she had to affect that astonishment that she'd won. But I thought it was so funny. And so in the middle of all this, you then get a little clip of what she appears. And she's effectively a kind of top-end kind of Madonna girls allowed, I think, I may be completely wrong, I may be complaints, but, uh, you know, very, very high-energy um, MTV... She's a pop star. Pop, she's a pop star. She's basically a pop star. But isn't that a controversy? The other controversy yeah. is that this, oh, yeah. this girl, to whom I felt a great deal of sympathy, actually, she's only about 22, I think, had had a terrible day in the media being duffed up. Yes. Course for the fact that her country have an absolutely appalling human rights record. Now, well, you know, now let me make this absolutely clear, listeners. I, I could be he, more supportive of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the demonstrations against China and my, my, my youngest son. But she's been elected, into, she's been elected to take it in the neck. But because, can I just point yeah. out, can I just interrupt? She is already the most famous Chinese person in Britain. Well, because we right. can't name another one. No. Can can you name a Chinese person? Not off the top of my head. I can can anybody? Not, not unless they're a film star of a you know Jackie Chan or something. Oh, uh, I'm just okay. going to Wikipedia's famous <laughs> Chinese well, we people. So this is going to be the price no, paid by the I first generation of famous Chinese. So this girl's arrived, right? She's coming to a little bit of press, and she's got to uh, you know affect astonishment that she might be in, in line for for an award. You know, and all people want to tell her about is the absolutely appalling human rights crimes being committed against the Tibetans. And I think, to be honest, I, I may be completely wrong, but I think a, a large amount of this she was unaware of. Yeah. I actually honestly believe that the Chinese media is so ruthlessly controlled by the government that it's quite possible that actually you have to go outside of China to discover, you have to go to Ding Wards, in fact, at a World Music Awards event, drink a pint of Woody Ale, Willie Ale, go out and get your award, tapped on the shoulder by some chin-stroking bloke who, who says it's all your fault. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, I mean, I thought it was astonishing. And presumably when Madonna goes to, you know, goes to Africa. She's not asked to account for American foreign policy in Iraq, is she? I think you're highly unlikely she is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although she'd probably be prepared with an answer, you see. So the, folk, the, 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 the rootsy crowd didn't take to her, really. No, I felt because also you see, attention. I do think we have this still this kind of strangely condescending view of the rest of the world's pop music, that it's all kind of rootsy. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's all folky. It's not like ours at all. Whereas the fact is you go anywhere and they have the whole yeah. spectrum. You know, I went to the Marlian equivalent of the Brits, you know, before Christmas. Sat there for an evening watching all of Marley's pop music. And it had just about everything apart from a country and western act 
and a heavy metal group. You know, yeah. it had rappers, it had schmaltz, it had you know would-be Beyonces, it had roots artists and so forth. Because we expect Africa, particularly Africa, to provide for us. You know, that that kind of rootsy thing that we feel is is sort of missing in our own music. It's very interesting. That and also that we're placing onto changes. that our own uh, kind of concept of what, what you also what you should wear, I think. I think was there a really strong sensation, maybe completely wrong, but I felt it, certainly, that, that people thought she was overdressed, this girl. Yes. This is the World Music Awards. She made out tilling the fields. In, exactly. <laughs> yeah, made it turn up with some humble instrument. You yes. fashioned yourself. Yes, you, know. you walked barefoot and this girl, from Heathrow. And delivered to Dingwalls in a stretch, you know, <laughs> with a team of paramedics spraying her hair. As she walks in, you know, with aerosols. It was terrific. So briefly, before we finish, Glastonbury, have you got your tickets? I haven't got my tickets, though. Because there's plenty left, aren't there? Apparently, yes. What do you yeah. think? What, what, what do I think of what? What do you think about why that they appear to be 40,000 customers light? Well, what I think is, I haven't got any more original to, to, to add or, or to, to what's already up in the debate, but we're running a piece about the next issue of Word, which I, I suppose there is a shortage of major headliners, and I suppose Glastonbury felt that, you know, their relationship with their um, ticket buyers is, is such that they don't have to be, you know, beating a path through anybody's door to make sure that they get the big acts. But I suppose the money is so enormous now, isn't it? The money for... Well, the money to get in. Yeah, but... No, not, no, the money to, to book the headlining groups. Not so, just that, though, because it's, it's down to the fact there are so many kind of little festivals yeah, around. Yeah. There are people who would have to go to Glastonbury because they didn't like Reading or didn't mm. like, you know... There's loads or, of choice. Yeah, or Chelmsford or Leeds or whatever. There are now... Places where you can go and you can sit in a nice field, like Cornbury, yeah, precisely, or you know, or the Latitude Festival, or the you know, end of the pier, or those ones down in sort of the West Country, and the, maybe the families that come, or people that would go before and spend time, most of their time in the green field or in the kind of jazz field or whatever. Now won't go. And it's also not twinned in the public mind with bu- biblical deluges, is it? Mm. You know, most of these other yeah. ones, whereas people's. Image of Glastonbury now as they see they see mud. There is a there is a, a, a borderline racism creeping out, which I'm very kind of Go on. annoyed about. Because you know, people think, oh, black acts, you know, don't play well at Glastonbury and then it's not what they're known for. I can remember seeing Trouble Funk there, I can remember seeing The Last Soul there. Admittedly not headlines. But headliners, that's the issue, isn't it? Stage, you know, and the crowd of kind of mainly white is there a black headliner who could play Glastonbury for their sushi? I, mean, I don't, you know, I think there are. I think a band like the Roots could play it. Headline? Draw, but they would blow everybody else off the stage. No, I don't have any doubt about that at all, but it's a, it's a question of kind of commercial draw, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that's the, Prince, that's the Prince, issue. Prince would tear Glastonbury apart. Prince probably would. But, uh, yeah, well, you know, we shall see. So, um, housekeeping, as they always say on company conferences, don't forget you get your T-shirts... Uh, look on the Word website, wordmagazine.co.uk. Don't forget to join the uh, the Facebook group. And a further innovation that we introduced this weekend. If you think you've got anything you want to add to this podcast, all you have to do is ring an answering machine in the office, but don't do it during office hours because somebody <laughs> might answer. Okay? <laughs> so you went outside office this hours. Is so friendly. So, no, no, this is fair enough. This is the way it works. I've got a couple of these this weekend, actually. You know, people who sat at home on Saturday night, had a couple of drinks and thought, I can do an impression of Bob Dylan singing Not Dark Yet. (laughs) Or uh, Neil Young, Hello, Cowgirl in the Sand. And all you have to do is, pencil and paper ready, all you have to do is ring 0207-078-8406 during downtime, during the weekends or in the evenings, 
and just sing it into the phone. Anything you want to add. You want to, you want to tell us a story, anything like that. Put it on the phone, and due to the That's magic of the internet... And we're going to broadcast these. We can, we can, we've got a couple of them on the website already, but we can include them in the podcast. If you've got a funny story or anything like that, if you've got a hoary old rock anecdote, horror won, a, a horror was a horse race that, 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 that eight, ran and won... Eight to one. Eight to one, we found out via the, via the website, actually a one last week. If only we'd had this information... Before the whole laws went to post. Love with it. Right. We can put next month's budget. Okay. So, um, shall I tell the story about George Clooney? Well, tell it. I see what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell the story about George Clooney. And if Matt decides that it's not acceptable, he can choose to fade the podcast earlier, okay? Is it ruder than the James Brown It's slightly rude, but it's kind of funny, it's but it's just, much. it involves, uh, it's, it involves uh, me explaining something which is very difficult to explain delicately. But anyway, George Clooney is a bit of a lad, and he has a load of male mates, you know, that he kind of, he's unmarried and stuff. Is he unmarried? I think he's unmarried. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of hangs out and, you know, lives the bachelor lifestyle that is available to you, particularly if you're George Clooney. George Clooney. <laughs> I can't think of anything think George Clooney can't do, you know what I mean? But anyway, he's got a bunch of, got a bunch of mates who are kind of directors and producers or whatever in Hollywood. One of them uh, decides he's going he's to have a cat, okay? And so he's going he's gonna to house train this cat, right? And he, he places a litter tray in, for some reason, the bathroom of his house. I've never heard of anybody doing that with a cat litter tray. Well, well, not if you live in Hollywood and presumably have about 15 <laughs> yeah. rooms that you could place a cat litter tray in. So George is kind of staying there or spending time there and he decides to play a prank on this on the, the guy who's got the new the kitten. Which is every time the kitten goes... Well, the raw ingredients for this don't sound that good. Do I think I can see what's yeah. coming. <laughs> every time the kitten goes to the litter tray and, you know, deposits, George... Removes the deposit and flushes it down the lavatory. <laughs> and this goes on for like days. To the extent that the guy who's got the kitten is thinking, well, I'm feeding this cat. This cat's not going out. <laughs> this book cat this is insane. <laughs> this cat has been constipated to death. <laughs> what motivates George Clooney to do? Has hey. George Clooney got bigger things to worry about? <laughs> Defecating so kittens. He or- does this. He lets this go on for a while. And then, this is the bit of the story that's very difficult to tell. This is the bit I can see that's coming. George decides that he's going to add to the mystique by placing in the litter tray a deposit of his own. Oh my God! This can't be true. With, With the result that the owner, you know, the kitten owner, Goes into the bathroom one day and thinks, "Oh my god, <laughs> this cat's had the most terrible <coughs> alimentary accident." You know? Oh my lord! So they are. I know, shall never watch. Oh brother, where art thou again? <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Oh, oh. Where did you hear that story from? I read it on the internet. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk.